Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you this morning and we thank you um, as we do every, um, every time we come together for corporate worship, just for the sweet blessing it is to be able to gather together, to have unity in Christ, to preserve it through worship, to know that our God is near, to know that we don't offer up words that are um, empty and without purpose, but that we have a God who has made himself known to us, with us, that doesn't leave us, that doesn't forsake us, that is in fact pleased with the sweet aroma to you when we offer up worship, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for um, just the incredible meaning that that gives to our lives as created beings. Lord, we humble ourselves before you this morning knowing that um, when it comes to faint-heartedness or weakness or idleness, um, without your word and without your design and without your purpose, we'll simply fumble. Um, we'll do a disservice to one another if we, if we didn't have um, your words that you've given us, that you've, that you've breathed out for us, that we would be equipped for the good work you call us to. Lord, as I pray for our gathering this morning, I also want to pray for um, C3 out in commerce. I pray that, um, that you would uh, be working mightily through, uh, um, through the leadership there uh, for David and for Ron and for Kevin. And I pray for the body of believers um, during these summer months as there, uh, as there aren't as many students around, that they would continue to persevere with one another, um, to admonish, encourage, and help one another, to be patient with one another. And uh, I pray that you would just bless their church um, bless them immensely that they would um, enjoy you together and lead others to do the, the same thing. Uh, Lord, we also want to uh, be obedient, as you have told us, to, to pray for our, um, uh, those in authority, or even, even government-wise. And so we pray uh, just for the local Greenville city government. We pray that you would give them wisdom, discernment, and insight. I pray that um, the meetings that go on would, would be meetings of understanding and, and clarity and light. I pray that you would allow them to, to lead so that this city um, can be a blessing to people and that it would be an environment, um, frankly, our prayers, that it would be an environment conducive for the, for the forward movement of the gospel. And that's not a simple prayer. Um, there's so many complexities there, Lord, that you tend to, that we don't even remotely understand. So uh, we love you, Lord, and we thank you that you are a God who is, who is over all of those things and infinite in your wisdom. Um, as we pray this morning, I'm thankful also, Lord, that you're a God who doesn't grow weary who doesn't grow faint, who doesn't grow weak, that you're strong, and that you, you tend to us as a shepherd, gently picking up those who need it in your arms, leading those who are with young, yet ruling with a mighty arm. Help us to enjoy you this morning, and I pray that in doing that, you would, you would guide us into your will for our lives as we live together with one another walking with one another in community. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5.14. 1 Thessalonians 5.14. We're glad you're here this morning. Um, it really is a privilege to get together and do this uh, every week, to be able to speak the word and not have to whisper. Uh, we're, we're really privileged in that, and so uh, we're thankful to get to do that together. Um, if you're a visitor, I want to let you know that this is part three of a three-part uh, series. So uh, we record everything online, and you can go back and utilize those resources uh, if, if you need. Um, and I would, I would encourage that. 
First um, Thessalonians 5.14 says this, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. I'm going to read it again. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. As I said before, today is part three of a three-part series titled Admonish, Encourage, or Help. Thus far, we've considered that God intends to use his people to bless his people. That's something that we've seen in this series. God intends to use his people to bless his people. So if you're thinking, well, um, I would love to be blessed. I want you to look around and know that God's design is that those around you would, would bless you immensely by his design using his words and, and um, even doing the things that he, he says to do uh, in your life. And so a handful of different ways we're looking at. First, we're called to admonish the idol. What we saw in our first week is that this is loving correction, rooted in the word, and delivered gently to the one who is lacking the structure and the obedience that God requires of them as his children. It's very different from smiting someone or just, just telling them how horrible you think they are or, or telling them how, um, what great disapproval you have for the way they're living, but rather this is a very loving encouragement. It's delivered gently. It is, it is direct. It is bold. Um, it's not weak in any way. Um, but it is to be rooted in the word and delivered gently, and that's what it means to admonish the idol. And then we looked the next week at encouraging the faint-hearted. And we considered last week really just how sweet it is that God desires his children to be encouraged. By God's sweet and merciful design, we are to come alongside each other and help one who is faint-hearted to lift their eyes to the Lord. And this is why we do that. We want to help one who is faint-hearted to lift their eyes to the Lord so that when they're weary, they can lift their eyes to one who does not grow weary. So that when they're faint-hearted, they can lift their eyes to one who does not grow faint-hearted. So that when they're weak, they can lift their eyes to one in whom there is no weakness and there is only strength. Because in that, they will be certainly encouraged. This week, we're going to look at the rest of Paul's urging in the verse. I want to remind you that when Paul says, I urge you, church, he's not giving suggestions. He's not just saying, hey, this is a notion that I want you to reflect upon. You could, I used the example a few weeks ago. If you told your child, I urge you to clean up your room, and they said, I'll think about it, that wouldn't be a good response because you've urged them to clean up the room. And so what, what we're getting this morning is this urging from Paul, um, from God, through Paul to us to do these particular things. And what he wants to do is create an actual effect, like that, that, that we as a church would actually hear this and do something, not just think about doing something, not just reflect on the notion of doing something, but actually do something. And I really think in this last part, it takes it to its, to its furthest extent maybe in the verse because of what we're called to. And what we're called to this morning is help the weak and be patient with them all. Help the weak and be patient with them all. It's important for us to remember our context. Paul is writing to a young church who's doing a lot of things well. A young church that's doing a lot of things well and moving in a manner, a very passionate manner, to such an extent that their witness is going forth and it's glorifying God. This Thessalonian church is young, but they're growing quickly in understanding. They're moving forward well. They, are, they do have the heartache of persecution and the heartache that comes from the loss of loved ones and the uncertainty of what's going on there. Paul addresses those things. But all in all, this, this church is moving forward well in a passionate manner. Paul has actually encouraged other churches with the movement of the Thessalonian church. 
It would be like saying, hey, I want to come here and encourage this church with what I've seen in this other church that's moving really well. That, that's how well the Thessalonian church is moving. So here's what I picture. Climb into this with me because I feel like we have to see why Paul would say what he has said. And so what I picture here is Paul writing a letter to this church that he sees as a very passionate group of people running really well. A young church that's growing quickly in their knowledge and their understanding of the word and that's even growing quickly in their application of it. And I feel like Paul's sitting here writing this letter and as he sees this church almost sprinting, almost they're moving so passionately, so quickly, almost sprinting, I picture Paul seeing in his mind those who aren't sprinting. I feel like what happens here at this part of the letter is Paul's pastoral radar hones in on those who are burdened when others aren't. His pastoral radar hones in on those um, who've gotten tripped up in weakness and don't have the strength to persevere when maybe the majority of everyone else is persevering. And if you have a big group of people and everyone's excited and obedient, moving in the right direction, it might be easy to miss that person who's not moving with such strength and passion and encouragement, but is burdened and tripped up in their weakness. So I feel like Paul, his pastoral radar has gone off and he's, he's honed in on that person. And Paul's saying to this church, as you're moving so well, Thessalonian church, I don't want to discourage your movement, Thessalonian church, but as you're moving so well, Make sure not to leave anybody behind. As you're running, there are times where you must intentionally slow down so that you can help the weak. That's part of your journey. In fact, that's part of your race that you're called to run. Don't leave the weak behind. You help them. So we see this very clear urging to help the weak. And when it comes to helping people, I mean... If anyone's tried to help someone before, you know that there's so many possibilities because there are so many needs. If weakness comes in many different forms, then the help that we offer and are called to offer will also come in many different forms. So I don't want you to think that this is just going to be some direct sermon that you come away with, oh, I need to do this, this, and this. One of the challenges of this sermon is just this broad spectrum and scope of, hey, help the weak. Okay, what does that mean? Well, it means a bajillion different things. That's bajillion, B-J-I-L-L-I-O-N. Because if, if the needs are so, so many, and, and the forms of weak, the weakness comes in so many different forms, then the help that God calls us to offer will come in many different forms. So we're going to have to hear this message and hear these scriptures and think and look around in our own lives and say, okay, well, what are we seeing and how, how do we move in this? The problem arises when many of us find ourselves overwhelmed when someone needs help. And what I mean is this, we're okay praying for them. Hey, brother, I'll pray for you. When you say that to someone, you better go and pray for them. I'm serious. There's so much, hey, uh, I'm praying for you, and you never do. That's a lie about praying. Don't, don't lie about praying. Side note, not the main point of the message, don't lie about praying. But generally, we're okay praying for people, we're fine to offer up some words of encouragement. But when it comes to step into their circumstance and to take them by the hand, many of us at that point become flustered, confused, intimidated, overwhelmed. And a lot of times we can end up doing nothing. 
And we leave the one who is weak without the help that they needed and without the help, frankly, that you're called to give them. That happens a lot. We see someone who's weak and it comes time to to just stop what we're doing and to step into their circumstance, take them by the hand. It's like, whoa, 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 this is getting personal. I don't want to get up in their business. I don't want to meddle in their affairs. You know, that's their business. A lot of times we'll use that, oh, that's their business as an excuse not to help someone who really could use some help. And they might even say, that's my business. And you love them so much where you're like, not really, it's, it's our business. Let's walk together lovingly, considering what the Bible says about your circumstance. So we can find ourselves in that place where um, they need help and, and we don't give it um, because we are um, either overwhelmed or, or not sure. Um, find to pray, find to give words of, of encouragement, but um, we don't want to leave someone sitting there when they need what we could give them. Or we're so busy. I'm burdened about this dynamic. Like, I want to be so careful because I don't want to be just some jerk pastor who sits up here and says, your schedules are too full, but, but your schedules are too full. My schedule's too full. I was very convicted as, as, I, as I considered this part. We can become so busy and our schedules are so full that we see someone who needs help and we acknowledge they're going to need someone to really walk with them, to take their hand, to help them, to step into their circumstance, but we quickly realize that we don't have any available time with which to help them. If that's a reality for you, you need to join me in confession and repentance so that we can be available for God to use us how we're supposed to be used. So this morning, what I want us to reckon with is the reality that whether you're overwhelmed, whether you're intimidated, whether you feel like you're meddling in someone's affairs, whether you're too busy because of a schedule, I just want us to reckon with the reality that God intends the church to be very, very helpful. Look, practically helpful. God intends the church to be very, very helpful. God intends his church to bless the weak by helping them, and not just the weak within the congregation, the weak in the community. Anyone weak that you run into, God intends you to bless them. He, he, his design is that the church would be very very helpful. And our motivation for this is how Jesus has helped us and continues to help us and has in fact helped us from the beginning. So, so to better understand this God-given motivation to help others, which I hope we leave here with a God-given motivation to help others, not guilt to help others, um, not just a, a new project to try to help others, but this God-given motivation to help others. So I, I feel like to have that rightly and to build on a good foundation, we have to go all the way back to the beginning And consider two possibilities that arise when someone needs help. Turn to Genesis 1. That's toward the front of your Bibles. Genesis 1. If you've ever read the creation account, you know that he creates this and he says it's good, and he creates this and he says it's good, and he creates this and he says it's good. And then we're going to look at what happens in Genesis 1. 26 through 28. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. This is our beginning. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So you see the Father, the Spirit, and the Son working together to create what's sitting in this room. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth 
and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What we must not overlook in this verse is that God does something very different when he creates man and woman. He talks to them. He talks to them. Now, you might be thinking, ooh, earth-shattering. What are you, why is that such a big deal? He talks to them. He didn't talk to the trees. He didn't talk to the light and the dark. He spoke it into existence. It was good. But when he spoke us into existence, he talks to us. And so um, Paul Tripp has a book. It's called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. And he makes a really good point. And I want to share his comment on this verse. He says, God knew that even though Adam and Eve were perfect people, living in perfect relationship with him, they could not figure out life on their own. They were created to be dependent. God had to explain who they were and what they were to do with their lives. And I want you to listen to this in light of the call to help the weak. They did not need this help because they were sinners. They needed help because they were human. Because they were human. This is the first instance of personal ministry in human history. The wonderful counselor comes to human beings and defines their identity and purpose. You want to go read that book? The whole book is that good. It's a really good book. So God, the wonderful counselor, comes to those who he has created and offers them the help that they need because they're human and tells them the purpose of their lives and what they're supposed to do. God has given us humans the ability to reason and order things in ways that all of the rest of creation does not have the ability. And he gives us the ability to understand him when he tells us his purpose and his will guiding us according to his counsel. So our need for God and our counsel from God existed before the fall. Our need for help is part of our design. But things did change in the fall. I'm not talking like autumn, summer, fall. I'm saying when when we fell as as a human race, when Adam and Eve took the fruit, things changed there. In the same manner that many of us receive counsel from many different people in many different ways, so Adam and Eve now in chapter 3 receive counsel from someone other than God. Turn over to chapter 3. It's going to be probably one page over to the right. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you'll not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together. And made themselves loincloths. What does the serpent offer? 
If she eats the fruit, she can be like God. That's what the serpent offers here. If she eats the fruit, she can be like God, making her need God less because apparently all she could ever need is found deep down inside of herself. To be clear, that's a lie from the devil. I don't use that phrase a lot because it's a pretty pretty uh, crazy sounding, excited Baptist phrase. That's a lie from the devil. That you have deep down inside what you need to accomplish, all that you need to accomplish is a lie from the devil. No, you don't. Don't go looking down in here for what you need. It gets darker and darker the deeper you go. To be clear, it is a lie. It is not truth. And again, Trip offers, for the first time in history, we witnessed the entrance of another voice, another counselor, another one offering help. Satan was offering a different path to wisdom, holding out the promise that people can discern life on their own. When you see someone in weakness and they need help, you don't need to look at them and say, they can figure it out on their own. Who are you being more like when you do that? What I mean is this. I mentioned two categories that arise when someone possibly needs our help. And when we see one who is weak and needs help, we can either image and mirror God's counsel and point them to his purposes for their life as created beings, or we can image and mirror the counsel of the serpent and tell them that they have everything within themselves to do what they need to do. You'll figure it out. Just reach down deep inside and grab hold of that which you need to persevere. To not point someone to God, to not point someone to God in their moment of need, and in their moment of weakness, is to give them the counsel of the serpent. Christians are called to handle weakness in a way very different from the rest of the world. Christians are called to handle weakness in a way that's very different from the rest of the world. Rather than denying our weakness and trying to establish our own strength, I mean, take this in light of our context. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. We're looking at the weak And the Christian handles it different. We're not trying to deny our weakness and establish our own strength. Rather, Christians are called to boast in their weakness. Turn to 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Christians are called to boast in their weakness, and that's not something that you'll find in any other circles. Boasting in our weakness. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to read verses 8 through 10. This is Paul, the same one who wrote the letter to the Thessalonian church, and he's writing this to the Corinthian church. And in chapter 12, verse 8, he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, the Lord said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. I I have personally struggled with this verse because I'm a sinner. 
I look at my weakness oftentimes, and some of you may have a similar perspective or bent in your sinfulness like I do, but a lot of times I look at my weakness like I look at my sin. It tells me to put sin to death in my life, and then I look at my weakness, and I'm like, and I'm going to put that to death too. No weakness. And then God has ways of showing you just how weak you actually are. He puts you in circumstances where you're like, oh, I need something, and I don't even know where to find it. I'm confused. I'm disheartened. I'm I'm faint-hearted, maybe. And you'll find circumstances where God will reveal your weakness because he loves you, because apparently when I'm weak, I'm strong. Now, the same guy who wrote this wrote it to the Thessalonians, and, and what I want us to see is this. Helping someone in their weakness is not necessarily assisting in ridding one of their weakness as much as it is about getting them to where they can boast in their weakness. If you don't boast in your weakness, you'll never take that approach with someone who needs help in their weakness. If you can't boast in your weakness, you'll never go to someone and say, hey, we got to get to the point where you can boast in this weakness and trust the Lord. You're going to do all sorts of different self-help methods or whatever, confuse the situation and try to get them to think they're not weak but we're weak. We're human. That's why we need God's help. (coughs) But we're strong, so don't get confused. No matter how much help we offer offer to someone, there's never enough to rid someone of weakness. It's never happened. God's strength is made perfect in our weakness, not our strength. So if he is our strength, and if we're looking to him for all that we need to move faithfully through our weakness, we are helped. You may be just thinking, Scott, I don't know how practical that is. Like, that doesn't do anything. Yes, it does. It gives you a Lord to look at who's very good, who promises his strength in your weakness. That's what we need most in our weakness. You don't need someone to lie to you and tell you, oh, you can do it. You're, you can do it if you're in the Lord and if you're trusting the Lord. You can move forward, persevere. God calls Christians to do some amazing things. I'm not saying be pushovers who just kind of roll over and get kicked and whine about it and say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm weak. No, no, no. His strength, God's strength is made perfect in your weakness. What you have to see is um, his strength is better than your own strength, no matter how strong you think you can get. Don't make it a goal in your Christian life to grow away from your need of the Lord. Don't make it a goal in your Christian life to be able to go to God and say, okay, I'm ready for you because I'm strong now. Don't make that a goal. His strength is made perfect in your weakness. So our goal is to go to people in their weakness and help them to boast in it. So if he's our strength and we're looking to him, we'll be helped. Remembering that we are created to be dependent, we must never steer one who is weak away from God. How do we help the weak? Do not steer them away from God. And at some point in this, I've kind of already posed the question in a handful of different ways, but I want to be really direct. At some point in this, we have to ask ourselves if we really believe in what we're offering to other people. Does the church really believe this? Do we really believe in what we would offer to those who are weak? Psalm 121, verses 1 through 2 says this. You don't have to turn there, just listen. The psalmist says, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Church, do you believe this? Do you believe that your help comes from your creator, the Lord who made heaven and earth? Do you see yourself as part of creation, looking to your creator, 
knowing that that is where your help will come from in your weakness. As one called to help others in their weakness, do you go to the Lord for help in yours? Really? What do you turn to? Who do you turn to? When you need comfort, when you need soothing, when you need encouragement, when you need help, where do you actually go? Because while there were two voices of differing counsel in the, wilderness, in the uh, garden, while there were two voices of differing counsel in the garden, um, we are surrounded today by competing voices offering their form of counsel in accordance with their beliefs of what's truly helpful. We're surrounded by counsel that people offer according to their beliefs on what they think is truly helpful. They're not necessarily saying, oh, I'm wicked and I'm going to trip this person up. They actually think it's helpful, all the more reason for the Christian to be rightly encouraged so that they can even encourage those who are offering different counsel from the Lord. What I mean is this, where do you go for that counsel? Television? And I say television, and I just included like a bajillion different channels, that bajillion again, don't, don't misspell it in your notes. Different channels, um, radio, blogs, self-help books, Oprah, Dr. Phil, Reader's Digest, Cosmo, Marie Claire, those are two of my favorites, People Magazine, um, that person at your office who just seems to have it all together. Um, there's actually a new TV show called Iyanla Fix My Life. No pressure, Iyanla, just fix my life. And it's usually about 30 minutes and she's got it done. Our witness is damaged if we don't really believe that God is more helpful than every single other option. Our witness is damaged if we don't really believe that God is more helpful than every single other option. We're called to be the kind of people who are all in. We're called to be the kind of people who are all in. And if a loved one is struggling with addiction or confusion or depression or their marriage or their parenting or their job or their finances, you should be eager to step in and help them by saying, you know, I believe that God actually does have a plan for that. And he shares his wisdom with us in the Bible. Would you be willing to read through some of it with me? Does that seem ridiculous to you? I know you need help. I know you're struggling. And I, I believe that the Lord does want to help you. Um, will you read this with me and maybe pray through it? And we can go to the Lord for help. I mean, I want to ask you, really, does that seem sufficient to you? Does that seem like, I mean, do you ask that question, you know, what else you got? Is there anything better? Can we go to this? Would you be willing to read through some of it with me? And some of you might be thinking, man, you don't know my family. You don't know my friends. If I go to them when there are problems and say, let's read the Bible together, they're going to ridicule me to no end. They don't appreciate it when I push my religion on them. And I would actually agree with you to a certain, uh, a certain extent. Remember, we're supposed to be all in. And if you don't really believe that God offers the best help, um, this is pretty direct. If you don't believe that God offers the best help, I'd ask you to keep your weak religious perspectives to yourself. Lovingly. But if your religion is such that you're all in and you believe that there actually is no greater help than that which God offers, 
then I'd say you have a responsibility and a sweet opportunity to actually help someone with something that lasts. This should be challenging for us. I've got family members who are going through confusion and addiction problems, all kinds of things. And I just think, forget that I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian. Am I cool going and saying, hey, you know, can we go to this? Or can I offer this up in some manner to them? Can I actually hear what they say they need and maybe go to this and write some of it down in a letter and give it to them? I mean, there's a thousand different ways to do that, but you're not going to find better help away from the Lord. Do we believe that or not? Is our religion such to where we're all in with the Lord or not? This word help is a very strong word, rightly so since it's offered to those who are weak and to the one who lacks strength. When he says in 1 Thessalonians, help the weak. To help, according to its definition and its original use, means to hold oneself opposite to, to adhere to, to care for, to hold fast. If you say to someone, hold fast, brother, and you walk the other way, you don't understand what it means to help. Hold fast. And normally I'd give you this arm to help, but I gotta go do something. That doesn't work like that. If you're telling someone to hold fast, you need to make sure you or someone else who you're walking with is there to, to adhere to them. And even to, there's, a, there's another word here, um, to cleave to them. It's part of the definition of help, to cleave. This has a sense of permanency and rigor. There is no light sense of cleaving. Nobody ever sort of gets married. That's the word used for a husband and a wife. Leave your father and mother, cleave to your wife. Nobody ever sort of gets married. You either are or you are not. So to better understand this kind of help that we're called to, look to Acts 20. Turn to Acts chapter 20. Just to the left a little bit. We actually looked at this a couple weeks ago in our admonishing sermon. Here's Paul again. Man, this guy is really relentless on talking about helping other people. He's speaking to the Ephesian elders. And this is the part that we engaged a few weeks ago where Paul says, says he's, remember he's a path ponderer and he's looking down the path and he's saying, guys, I'm gonna leave here, Ephesian elders. And when I do, there's actually gonna be people who rise up from within even your, your elder leadership and they're going to, to lead people astray. And as he's pondering that path in good wisdom, he says to them, what I want you to do is to make sure they don't lead the sheep astray. Lead well, step in, continue to give them the full counsel of the word. And he reminds them, remember that for three years, I did not cease to admonish you with tears. With tears, he cared deeply for the church and admonished him. This is the same section of scripture. And look at what it says in verse 34. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. So there's this picture of having your own stuff together, having some order in your own life. And then there's this picture of using those same hands in that hard work to help the weak. I want you to picture a guy who's been like shipwrecked and, and stoned and left for dead and what his hands might have looked like as he was saying that. He looks down and says, these hands ministered to our needs and all these things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, 
we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That's very important encouragement for the Christian who is called to help the weak. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So in what form does help to the weak often come? Hard work. Some of you are like, that's not encouraging. Hard work. That's what you're called to. When we're called to help the weak, how are you to do that? How does that often come? Rarely, if ever, does it come with a, a, a token word, a glance, a, a keep them good, brother, stand fast, hold fast, whatever. It comes with hard work. We must keep a close watch on our lives, doing hard work, so that when we have the opportunity and needs arise, we can work hard for other people. Remembering Jesus' sobering and challenging words, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I will not be able to convince you to help the weak if you don't believe it's more blessed to give than to receive. It will wear you out. That's what hard work does. It makes you so you need sleep. You need to rest your hands because they're sore. That's what hard work does. Has anyone ever, ever done a bunch of manual labor when what you regularly do is not manual labor? Like you dig holes or something for a fence and normally you're at a computer and you look down and you're like, ah, my hands hurt. You wake up the next morning, my hands hurt. You wake up three days later, you're like, seriously, my hands hurt. <laughs> hard work. Hard work. If you don't believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive, I don't think I'll ever be able to convince anybody to help the weak. Cleave to them and don't ever stop. By this definition, what you see is this. You can see a loving believer looking at someone who's struggling, and you see that loving believer saying, yeah, I'm not going to let you struggle alone. I refuse to allow you to flounder by yourself. I want to see you flourish. And so I'm going to yoke myself to you to link arms or to allow you to put your arms on my shoulder or around my neck, and we will keep moving forward together. If we both keep our eyes on the Lord, it is just a matter of time before his strength will revive you and bless you. And even then, we will keep moving forward and running together as those who desperately need Jesus every day because we're human beings and we're created. And every moment of every day, that will be our reality. That's what, it, that's what you're doing when you look to someone to help them in their weakness, saying, I'm not going to let you just flounder. I want to come alongside you. You've been in the same spot for three years. I'm going to take your hand, and we're going to move forward. We're going to go to the Lord. We're going to hold each other accountable. We're going to put some things in place, some structure and order, so that we're not idle. And we are going to be pleasing unto the Lord and the diligence with which we try to put this weakness in its proper place and move in the Lord's strength and quit trying to do it on our own. Every moment of every day. Turn back to 1 Thessalonians 5.14, our original text. The last part of the verse says, be patient with them all. Be patient with them all. I had a really sobering moment yesterday um, where um, our kids were playing and someone got hurt. Like, that happens every five minutes. And, um, and it was Hattie, who turns two today. So if you see little Hattie, tell her happy second birthday. Shout out from the pulpit. Um, and so Hattie got hurt, and 
that's pretty normal. Uh, she falls a lot, runs into things, kind of clumsy. And, uh, and so something happened. She got hurt. And um, it's like, okay, come on, sweetie, let's go. And we're walking, and she kind of you know, drags her legs. And when my son does that, it's because he's throwing a fit. And so I kind of reacted the same. I was like, seriously, come on. And I became a little impatient. Like, hey, come on, sweetheart. We'll go. We'll take a look at it. And I realized she'd hurt her leg. She couldn't walk. And I was like, who's a big jerk for being impatient with the injured two-year-old? <laughs> I didn't realize. I was just, uh, come on, let's go. Let's, let's go to somewhere we can sit. And I was just, I just showed a little impatience there. And I, I don't know if you've ever seen with, when like a little kid hurts their legs, the little limp that they have. Oh, my gosh. That's the most heartbreaking thing ever. They're trying. And like she's limping along and she's going to fall. And I'm like, oh, like the worst parent ever. Come here. Help the weak. You got to be patient. It wasn't that she just didn't want to move forward. She couldn't move forward. Her leg was hurt. It wasn't that she was just being a whiner. She had weakness. Like the part of her leg that was working well moments before was weakened and was no longer working well now. And she's kind of limping around. Heartbreaking. But impatience is not going to help anything right there. Toughen up, two-year-old girl. What's that going to do? Patient with them all. Some people come by patience way easier than others do. And I'm always amazed when I see it. I'm amazed when I meet someone who just never seems to lose their patience. There's a few of you in this body. I don't want to mention your name. I don't want you to get a big head and puffed up. But it, it blows my mind when I see it. No matter the circumstance, they're calm, cool, collected, sober, and faithful. But for the others of us, many others of us, we become easily annoyed. We allow things to frustrate us when they should be challenging and spurring us forward in some manner. Some of us are simply disgusted or frustrated by the sins of others. We get frustrated when someone becomes faint-hearted because we think, you should be stronger. You know what the Bible says. What do you have to be faint-hearted about? God's good. He never leaves you or forsakes you. Come on. That's impatience. And when one is weak, the same frustration can set in. And when we feel that frustration settling in, and I'm trying to be super honest about this. I'd, I'd love to be like, oh, I've never experienced this before, but when one's weak, I hear people become impatient with them. No, I think that's the reality for a lot of us. And we have this frustration that settles in. And, and here's, here's how I kind of feel it or see it playing out. When we feel that settling in, when we look at one who is weak and we begin to entertain thoughts about how much more free it would be and encouraging it would be to leave them sitting there and just move on unhindered, if we're honest, we've been guilty of that. Or how much faster you could travel without all of their baggage. We have to hear Jesus' voice saying, be patient with them all. It's more blessed to give than to receive. That's Jesus saying that. Be patient with your children. Be patient with your wife. Be patient with your husband. Seriously, I know that there are people in this room and marriages that have looked at one another and said, I think I could do better without you. And that's not true. Be patient. Long-suffering, persevering. Be patient with your children, your wife, your husband. Be patient with your friend, your coworker, 
your family member who just doesn't seem to get it, that family member that always wants to have spiritual conversations with you because they know you're a Christian, and then once they get a little more drunk at the family gathering, they want to have deeper spiritual conversations. Ecclesiastes 7.8 says that the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Christian, let that hit you. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. If you decide that someone's weakness is not worth spending time on to help them through it, you're moving in ugly pride. And you're not actually moving forward, just so you know. If you say, gosh, I'm tired of their weakness. I'm a strong Christian. I'm going to move forward. When they get their junk together, maybe they'll come up here and visit me. When you do that, you're not actually moving forward. You're moving backwards. That's not spiritual health. The word says that love is patient. So to not offer help when one is weak and needs it is to be unloving and impatient. And I think 2 Peter 3.9 is probably the most direct in saying, the Lord is patient toward you. Don't forget that. The Lord is patient toward you. Remember, we aim to lavish upon others that which the Lord has lavished upon us. And in this case, it's patient help for the weak. That's the point of the verse for us this morning. We want to lavish upon other people that which the Lord has lavished upon us. And in this case, it is patient help for those who are weak. As we close, I want to encourage you. I was thinking about this, and I sent out some emails to small group shepherds this, within the last couple of weeks asking just to know where you are because I want to know how to pray for you. Um, and I was thinking about what, what an, a pretty immediate response could be for our body and I want to encourage you to make it a point in your prayers this week to, to pray for patience in this body of believers. Please pray for patience in this body of believers. Look around those who are sitting next to you. Write their names down in your journal or on your notes or in the back of your Bible and pray for people by name. Pray big, pray directly, pray specifically for patience because there's so much opportunity both inside and outside of the church to admonish the idle, to encourage the faint-hearted, and to help the weak. And before we even find ourselves in those situations, God tells us that we will need patience with each opportunity. So pray for patience because the opportunities are sure to come. Pray for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that impatience would never get in the way of faithfulness, help, admonishment, and encouragement that is much needed. It seems fitting to close with a sober and a very patience-invoking reminder from Hebrews 5. Turn over to Hebrews 5. We'll close with this before we take our supper. Hebrews 5 says this. Look at verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. What that means is that the high priest that's chosen from among men to offer sacrifices on behalf of men for their sins is a person who is going to be very, very in tune with the sins and the weaknesses and the shortcomings of the people. All day, every day, people are going to bring them goats and lambs and whatever other sacrifice 
And all day, every day, they're spilling blood and spilling blood and spilling blood and listening to, to these sins of the people. And he's going to God over and over and over again saying, Lord, forgive them. They offer the sacrifice, Lord, forgive them. This person needs forgiveness. This priest was so in tune with the sins of the people because he heard it over and over again. He knew the weakness of the church. He knew the weakness of God's people. And he was to persevere in what he was appointed to do to act on behalf of a bunch of other sinners and other people who are weak by their human created condition. It says this in the next verse. That guy who does that all day long Verse two, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Why can you deal gently with someone who's even ignorant or wayward? Because you know that you're beset with weakness. You have a right view of the Lord. You have a right view of yourself. And that will help you to have a right view of the one who needs help in their weakness. He can deal gently with the ignorant wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. By God's design, we will be kept diligent and gentle with the weak if we remember that we ourselves are beset with weakness. Not just sometimes sort of weak, maybe on a bad day. Not just um, I have like two issues where I'm weak. No, we're beset with weakness. If we think we are only strong, we will inevitably grow weary of helping the weaklings. But if we see ourselves as beset with weakness, I think that we will be eager to offer the help to others that we know we will inevitably need from them at some point in our journey. It's a two-way street. If you, if you think, oh, I, all I do is help other people. I'm so strong. All I do is help these weak people. God, why have you surrounded me with such weaklings? You don't have a right view of yourself because I guarantee there's a point in time where you will need the same help from someone else that you've offered them because we ourselves are beset with weakness. As we take the supper, I want you to be encouraged that this is not the case with Jesus. That's not how Jesus shows patience towards us. That's how we show patience towards each other. But this is not the case with Jesus. We can deal gently with others because we ourselves are beset with weakness, but in Jesus, there is no weakness. That's the joy that you should have as you take the supper this morning. Jesus doesn't just relate to us where he's like, yeah, I know, I struggle with that too. Jesus has never said that. I struggle with that too. He has no weakness. That's why you point people to Jesus. If you think that you got the goods and you just want to keep pointing people to yourself, come here, I got you, come here, come here, I got you. You're beset with weakness. Jesus has no weakness. Make sure you always point people to Jesus. For him, what he does is he looks at us in our weakness and he offers us himself. He looks at us in our weakness and he offers us himself. Nobody else in all of history has been able to do that or will be able to do that in the future. As we distribute the elements, I just want you to spend time thanking Jesus for how he helps us. Thanking Jesus for not leaving his children in a place of idleness, faint-heartedness, or weakness. Thanking Jesus that he meets us in those things and he gives us what we need. And I also want to encourage you as we distribute the elements 
to ask him for wisdom and how to help others when they're weak. Let's pray. <coughs> Lord, we um, come before you after looking at the... <coughs> the text you've given us this morning. We acknowledge how needy we are. I'm so thankful that back in the point that man and woman were created, that you spoke to them, that you gave us the ability to comprehend you to some degree, to understand your will, to understand the purpose for you that you have for us in our lives. We can't fully understand you, but I think when we go to the word, we can have a really good understanding of what you intend for us and our short lives here on earth. I do pray, Lord, that our heavenly dwelling and the reality of it would affect the way that we move now, knowing it is more blessed to give than to receive, knowing that we are beset with weakness, knowing that we can help others to grow in their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and to truly be encouraged and to be strengthened, not within themselves, but strengthened by something outside of themselves. Lord, I'm thankful that we don't have to just keep looking down deep inside of ourselves, but that we, we have somewhere to go, that we have a refuge, that we have love from a heavenly Father. As we distribute the elements this morning, Lord, I pray that you would have your church mindful of how you move, what you're doing, and eager um, to seek wisdom from you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions.
sin. 